This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91, the same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. And today I'm talking to my favorite experts on employee happiness and best practices. That's Coleman Consulting Group, of course. My guests are Frank Pereira and Jim Mertz. Gentlemen, welcome. Hello. Hi, Shelby. Great to be here with you again. So I want to break down our conversation today uh, by levels. We're talking about uh, changes in organizations, uh, but there's always kind of three sides to the story with change. There's the very top uh, senior management level. There's the story that the middle management are experiencing and feeling from from both top and bottom. And uh, then the third level of employee and team members, uh, what kind of perceptions they have when they're dealing with something that's coming down the pike, a big change uh, for an organization. So I uh, want to talk about the senior management team first. So when you're dealing with a sudden change in a company, maybe it's a schedule change, maybe the market demand has, has suddenly plummeted and and the production lines aren't running as, as often. I mean, any type of change that we're talking about, there's going to be some, uh, some, some pain, some challenges there. So first, let me uh, start with you, Jim. And, and what are some of those uh, kind of key factors, key situations that happen when a company realizes, you know what, we need some help, and they call in Coleman Consulting? Most people think of uh, manufacturing needs to increase. Uh, we've got more sales. We need more volume of production. And what do we do to ramp up? But sometimes equally as important is what do we do if we have to ramp down? Uh, we're running 24-7 now and our, maybe we've put in some new machinery and, and our ability to produce and our volume to produce has increased. We, we've become much more efficient and now we don't need to run 24-7 anymore. We need to run 24-5. Uh, how do we do that? How do we, how do we move from one to the other? Uh, the senior management team usually has either worked with us or know of us and they're pretty open to the change because they understand that either a the company doesn't have the bandwidth management wise to handle the change and need help or b it's a change that they're not it's not in their uh custom or they're not accustomed to doing so if i want to make ice cream let me bring in the ice cream experts that's not me but if if we want to change a schedule uh, or do change management with the employees and the management team, that's Coleman. So that's bringing, bringing the Coleman guys because that's what, uh, and that's what they do. That's what they know. So we never go in without buy-in from somebody, somebody in that organization. And it's usually uh, supported by the CEO or the COO or somebody in the C-level saying, these guys are here, we're supporting the change. When you get into the plant, there's the plant, there's the second-line supervision, first-line supervision, and even front-line employees, and they all have um, a – they can all have issues with change one way or another. Some are directly affected because we're talking about the line organization. 
Some might not be affected at all, but may have an opinion. They could have been people that moved out of those positions and so forth. And I think on this podcast, these are the kind of things we want to talk about. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious. Um, we all know that change is scary. Change is uh, something that people are going to naturally kind of fear. Uh, but I do want to get beyond those those reasons of simply fear. Uh, there are, are bound to be reasonable uh, objections to uh, to going into a change like this. And so uh, when you do come to a, a senior management team that for the most part is on board, but maybe there are, uh, there's a straggler, maybe there's a middle manager or a local manager, like you said, uh, that is reluctant to it. What are some of the common reasons you see they are reluctant for the change? Well, from, from my perspective, uh, right on the front row, uh, what you'll see I mean, you can really, really boil it down into a, a couple of key elements. You've got somebody that's, it's a turf issue. Um, they may, they may even concede that, that we know more about schedules than they do, but it doesn't matter. We're in their turf and they don't want anybody changing or upsetting the apple cart. That type of problem doesn't happen just once. Uh, that's usually a, a, a common symptom or a systematic symptom, if you will. Uh, where there's a lot of those examples of a uh, manager maybe not uh, sharing all the information that they have. It could be very subtle from, from you know, making it challenging to get some of the data or information. That yeah, you need. Or yeah. it could be just outright, um, I'm going to put up a roadblock and a barrier to every part of the process that you're doing. And, and I'm not going to make it easy for you. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to make you understand that you're not really wanted here. Why, though? I know that's kind of a complex question, but why are those employ why are those managers uh, feeling threatened? Like, is that then a result of something that's been happening in the company? So you're 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 actually dipping into a whole other podcast, but uh, yeah. it probably starts with you have somebody that's probably insecure as a manager. Um, they're probably you know they probably have other traits or other uh, issues, problems with the way they run things. Um, and so anybody messing with their stuff uh, then becomes an issue. Right, right. Uh, and it's something you have to deal with. Yeah. You can't, can't pretend it's not there. You have, to, you have to face it head on. You have to address it. So what are some of those others? Um, then you have, you have the, the people that are uh, – in, in the senior management level, you really don't have much of, a, of an issue with the schedule change because it doesn't normally affect them from a personal level. Mm -hmm. Then you have, uh, you have some managers that are, are just too busy and, and this project is not important enough to them or, or they don't perceive it to be important enough at the start. And as we get into the project, 20, hopefully 30% into the project, they start seeing the value of it and understanding the value of it. And then they come on board. Do you find that there's um, almost organizational procrastinators that figure, well, this isn't the right time. Maybe, maybe next year, maybe next quarter, maybe five years from now. Well, if they're true procrastinators, no, nothing will, never will ever be the right time. So um, you, you just have to overcome that quickly and, and, and move through it. Um, because, uh, uh, procrastination is is not part of our process, right? It can't be. I mean, there there has to be an active mindset of wanting to 
change or at least be open to change. Maybe you don't want it, but you need it and you recognize that it's a a necessary thing to happen in order to sustain the entire organization. Well, and, and as we move forward, as we start talking about not just the middle management, but when we talk about the employees, the frontline folks that are are truly affected by the schedule change or a potential schedule change, um, we have a process and the process involves them. And so procrastinating uh, really hurts that process. We have a schedule that we like to adhere to or as close to as we can, and it involves getting in front of the employees and keeping them engaged in the process. Um, so so procrastination can be a killer to a project, and, and we have a schedule that we try to adhere to pretty closely. If you're an executive and you're against change, you're doing things to actively make Jim's life hard. Actively making Jim's life hard, I'm not going to give him the data that I know he needs. Why? Because this project is from my peer, and if it makes my peer look good, then I'm going to look bad, and it's out there, right? Or, you know, I just don't like him because I I think I can do a better job. They hired him to do this. We should be doing it ourselves. So, again, I'm not going to let him succeed. It's much more dangerous to actively make the project look bad and to keep data away from Jim than it is to just not be supportive or to be forgetful or to just, you know. You is know, that kind of a two-facedness? A two-facedness, yeah. We see it out there, right? You know, from our perspective, change is critical to getting things to go forward. I, I think the reason that we get hired as change agents is if the company could have changed by themselves, I always have to ask, why didn't you do it? If it was so easy, why didn't you do it? Right. Right. And I'm and, sure that's always comes back with an interesting answer. An uncomfortable yeah, one, probably. And they have, there's a lot of justification. Well, you know, we just don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We're not getting paid to do it. The executives that tend to hire us over time in our references and successful projects, they realize we're not going to teach the strudel plant how to make strudel or the pizza guys how to make pizza. We don't know that. But if you can use us as a tool, you can get a lot, you know, you can get a lot further. So when we start to look at the middle management, I mean, you're talking about uh, kind of a two-facedness where uh, to the executives, to the high, high, you know, the higher ups, they're nodding and saying the right things. But then when they get in front of their their teammates or their employees, they're probably dogging the 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 challenge at hand. So I'm curious, what uh, sort of pushback do you get from plant managers or site managers uh, that have have really kind of left you nodding or shaking your head, thinking, "Wow, that's uh, that's something I haven't seen before." Um, I think that's where that's where we see more of our pushback than we do at the senior level. The senior level usually understands why we're here and our our need and our purpose, and and that they brought us in and made the decision to bring us in. And uh, a good example is we were just up in the Northeast working with a bakery, and uh, came into the plant, met a thirty year old grizzled veteran of the of the bakery industry running his plant. And he was not happy we were there. We we worked the project uh, on our timetable through to the end. And at the uh, final day of the project, as I handed him the results and the the uh, implementation manual and shook his hand and smiled and looked him right straight in the eye, he said to me, uh, thanks for coming. And I said, you're not really that thankful we're here. You're not even going to listen to any of the things that we uh, came up with here, are you? And he looked and smiled and said, no, I'm not. 
And I said, so I'm going to walk out the door and you're going to what, throw this in the trash? He said, yes, I am. Have a nice trip home. And I said, thank you and goodbye. And and so the, the real sad part of the project was the employees needed change. They needed some help. And uh, we were unable to deliver any kind of change because the, the plant manager was blocking change. The employees wanted to change. They were pleading for the change and, and happy that we were there and, and sharing options and teaching them on what other kind of schedules they could be operating or could be using. Um, but we were unable to implement because plant management uh, was not interested in any kind of change or listening to anything that we came up with. So they want to be the hero. They want to be the hero. And we're part of the previous regime. Previous regime hired us. Oh my God. You know, that's, uh, and we've had that situation. Um, you know, we, uh, last year had a situation where there was a new CEO and brought in. And the first thing he said is what, you know, why are we doing this? And even though, the employees needed help, and it was the right answer. And when I say screaming for help, they're screaming for help. We, we survey them, and we hear it from them. You know, help me. And it's for a thousand different things. Um, but when you have a organization that fears change, it affects many, many things that are that are within our process or even outside of our process because, you know, they're stopping people from doing everything that could be good for the employees. Right. Well, this uh, this aversion to change, you're certainly used to seeing this. And so uh, you, you must have strategies to help put people at ease. Uh, what are some of those ways that, that Coleman can kind of quell those fears uh, when they're dealing with at least the middle management or even an entire executive change uh, where you are kind of starting from square one and selling them on, no, we're we're not part of the problem. We're part of the solution. Well, that's a good question. Uh, in the middle management ranks, uh, where you're dealing with uh, the plant management team, um, we like to sit down. It's part of our process. Uh, we sit down with them in multiple points and multiple different uh, engagement parts where we work with them through the process. In it. So it's not only informational, but it's also educational. Uh, this is actually key with the employees too, but it's key with the management team uh, that they understand why and how we're doing what we're doing and delivering them data. In some cases, we're delivering data from their system that they've never looked at that way. And so now they're getting data, they're getting information, they're getting education, uh, things that they thought that they already knew, uh, but they didn't. We're showing them options that they already thought they already knew all the options, but they don't. And uh, we're helping teach them and helping encourage them to to be a part of the solution. And that helps win them over. From a new management team to see the data in front of them, that can often be very, very powerful because now they can understand what the issues are. And often they can be better change agents because they're not burdened with past decisions. And they have that... Um, what do they call it in leadership, that 100 days, your first 100 days, um, to drive change. Uh, because I'm new, there's nothing I can really do wrong in the first 100 days because I'm driving change. Once I get past that, now I'm part of the system, and now I have to live with past decisions. So I think that's an important or, or maybe a, a notch in the the pro column, because if a new CEO is coming in, they do want to make their mark. They want to change things up and show that they are in control. 
but if you've got a Coleman Consulting Group or any kind of consultant on the staff that is looking at at change management, I think it's important for them to realize, again, I'm not having to to plow through all of these layers of drudge and uh, and old bad decisions. We're already at that point where, okay, we're ready to start changing things. So it's really, it's ideal for a new CEO coming in because you don't have to, you know, uh, you know, slowly lure them in, slowly get them to trust you, slowly get them to, to acclimate before you come in and make those changes. You're a little bit already at that point, right? This can happen at executives. Usually I find it in, if it's an executive that grew out of the organization, or if it's, if it's more often than not, it's sort of the middle management they truly own those processes that are going to change. Uh, I have a client right now, without naming it, a government client who has rock solid practices that were put in place in 1992. <laughs> They're perfect in the pre-internet world. Right, of course. If everything was done on paper, it's perfect. The problem is that today people want to use their phones, they want to use the internet and everything else, and we are spending thousands, no, tens of thousands of man hours in this organization every year shuffling paper back and forth between desks and waiting on paper and copying paper and then scanning it in and then typing back the stuff that you just scanned in, right? It just, it's like unbelievable. And uh, but the the process is, if we were going to do all this from a paper perspective, and we didn't have any sort of um, checks, you know, uh, from a computer standpoint, made a lot of sense. Uh, and so, from a change perspective, the management team kind of knows that, but that's their baby. Some of them got promoted based on the best efforts that they put in. A number of years ago and have been husbanding for years. Right. And have trained people on for years. And that's hard. Well, I got to say that I kind of identify with that middle manager who created these processes from scratch. I mean, we don't want to paint the, the, the managers that are reluctant to change with a two of a broad brush as, as being the problem and not the solution, uh, because maybe they, I mean... I'll use myself as an example. Um, it, at the the magazine that I worked for, we started very, very humbly, very basic um, website. And so all of the processes of getting, uh, which grew from five stories a month to 150 to 200 stories a month up on the website, they grew organically. They grew from me figuring out this process worked and that process worked. And then when I went from employee one to employee you know, three of my team to get everything up on the website, we just kind of, you know, nimbly adjusted and, and created those things. So the reluctance to change isn't me putting my foot in the ground and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to be a stubborn person. I'm going to be difficult. It, it's, it's almost a little bit of pride. It's not insecurity necessarily. Maybe that is too, but it's the fact that I'm good at this. I figured out how to do something well for my team. And when somebody comes in and says, no, 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 we, we need to change all of this. It's just a little bit intimidating uh, because you feel like, well, this was homegrown. This was my absolute baby. 
and maybe I'm not going to recognize my baby. Do, do you find that to, that to be the case with some people? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's people are people. Everybody's a little different. And, and in some cases, I think it's a, it's a safety or security. It's a pride. You know, it's, it's not just that you're changing my baby. You know, I developed this baby and, uh, we've used our best practices to get to this point. And, you know, sometimes you have to gently point out that that best practice is from 35 years ago. Um, and, and some of the practices have changed. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a it's a educational process and, and, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be nimble sometimes at an account or a client where, uh, know when to push, know when to pull back a little bit and, uh, uh, and maybe massage instead of push. I don't want to go too, too deep down this route because I don't want to take over the, the thing, but, um, I want to, I like the fact that we're getting to a little bit of the psyche of the, the middle manager who has good intentions, but needs help in the change because they don't realize they need the change maybe. Or, um, so I like kind of giving these two sides to that person. Cause I think a lot of people maybe listening to this will then hear themselves that they'll realize, yeah, I, I created these processes. Um, when somebody comes in and says, well, why can't we do it this way? You are viewed as, as a stick in the mud when, when, you say no, it, it well, we've always done it this way and it's worked that way. Oh God, I said it. I said the thing that's the 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 kryptonite. We've always done it this way. Ugh. I was that stick in the mud. That's the thing. I feel like I'm I'm on the therapist couch, but I was viewed as the person that, well, if we skip step two through five, we're we're killing our quality assurance, we're we're letting errors um, come in and we lose our credibility as a trusted news source. Uh, when we try to do things faster, but yeah, I was that stick in the mud. Well, and, and to really drive it home, I, I think is that, and it's a game I like to play when you, when you're in a plant or you're at a, any kind of a, a client or organization, we look at a, a policy or procedure. Every one of them has a basis for, for a reason to be done in a certain way or a certain order or process. And it all came from a good intention to start with and and it could be because something bad happened or it could be because you were preventing something bad from happening and and, and some of these processes and procedures are, are i kid you not 40 50 60 70 years old in some of these places and then the question you ask why why do we still do this well um and and you know i love to go back in time and figure out what was the thought process as to why, why are we doing this now? You know, because we had to do it 35 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. And why, why are we doing it now? Do we still have that same potential problem? And if we do, then maybe the process just needs to be updated a little bit, but the process and procedure is good. But sometimes, a lot of times we'll ask that question and everybody will kind of look at us and we'll kind of go, that's not really a problem anymore, is it? Well, probably the reason why there's some of those common sense checks in there is because it was an employee that graduated to the middle management position. They were in the trenches and they know exactly what the the fallacies of a system are. So 
I want to focus on those employees then and talk about change management for them. Uh, Of course, there's anxiety when it comes to a change, uh, something personal like a schedule change, for example. But I mean, a lot of times I just think that maybe employees feel pretty helpless uh, when the management team decides that they are committing to change management. I mean, it's like it's happening to them and, and they don't have a choice of, of what to do but comply. So how do you make sure that you get that buy-in from employees and shift workers and uh, really help them understand that they do have a voice in this? This is happening for them and because of them. Yeah. So, you know, from our perspective, changing schedules, there's nothing more important to people than their schedule. And it's, and as we've talked about in other podcasts, Shelby, it's not just the, what you're working on paper. You know, I work Monday through Friday, nine to five. It's all the little things around it. Do you come in on Saturdays? Do you have to cover for other people? Do you have to stay late? Do they call you in early? Um, can you get vacation? Uh, can you get days off? Uh, you know, uh, Every schedule is slightly different. Um, and so those rules that people live inside, anytime you touch any of those, it's really, really a hot point because it can affect people. But I would go back when you said, how do we uh, help employees with all this distrust? Whatever your, your opening was great, Shelby. And my answer is just get them involved. Give them a voice. That's how you get people to change. Give them a voice in their future. An important part is we also teach them about the vehicle that they're purchasing. So That's right. And the cause and effect we teach them. So, yeah, you can have that big, huge V8 Hemi engine, but your gas mileage is going to be 15 miles to a gallon. Are you going to be okay with that? That's going to be the result of that engine. The V6 might be better for you. You're going to get 30 miles to a gallon you know, to keep with the car analogy, but, but, and it may not be the way they work that way either. They, but, uh, it's, uh, but teaching them along the way in each step of the process and, and sorry to interrupt you there, Frank, but, but I, I'm a big proponent of the educational part of it. No, it's, it's educating people and getting them involved. And in the end, they get to make the decision, which I, I think is critical, educating people on what the possibilities are, opening their eyes and getting them involved and giving them a voice. And the way we give them a voice, because again, it's show me, right? We've all taken a lot of surveys and most of them go out into the ether and we have no idea what the results are. But when we talk to people, first you talk to them, educate them a little bit, then you survey them and find out what they like. Is it true to say that most companies reach a fork in the road and take the easy way out uh, instead of investing in change they just stay status quo and they're unable to see the big picture you know you'll you'll run into situations where uh they think they believe they know what a schedule should be so they they glam on to something like uh we want to work 10 hour shifts four days a week well the plant runs 24 7 and i look at them and i say okay how do you want that shift to be well i'll work monday tuesday wednesday thursday and then i'll be off friday saturday sunday every week Okay, well, how does that work for everybody else? Well, I don't care about everybody else, but as long as I can do Monday through Thursday, that this is a great schedule. Uh, okay, well, the plan has to run for three more days. We'll just hire somebody to work the weekend. You want somebody to just work on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Oh, yeah. 
okay, everybody, that's a great idea. Let's hire just a weekend crew. And who's going to work it? Hannah volunteers. Who's going to work it? No, not us. You, you go hire somebody else to do it. Um, that is, that's one of the, that's one of my favorites. The, the, uh, solution is always go hire a weekend crew to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, uh, everything will be all right. But the employees don't realize, they don't understand that first you got to find people that want to work just those three days, never have a weekend off, never have that break. Um, they're always going to be the new people. It's a, a whole new challenge because they're going to be the new people. So they're going to be the less skilled, the less trained, the less efficient. So, so the production on the weekends tend to be less efficient or, or, or less productive than, than the rest of the crews. Um, and then your biggest turnover is going to be always on that crew. Why? They don't leave the company necessarily, but all of a sudden the night shift opens up, uh, on the, on the regular group. I'm coming off weekends. I'm going to go work the night shift and, and so on and so forth. So it's perpetu- it perpetuates. It makes a weekend warrior shift very difficult. But boy, they'll, they'll sell it to me like, uh, like it's something I've never thought of before. So let me ask you guys, do you ever follow up with the companies that you've helped implement a change uh, just to make sure that the schedules have stuck, that the employees are still happy? And, and I'm curious, I mean, have you ever gone back and it's just Animal House? Like none of the changes have, have stuck uh, and, and you're having to go back in there and create or adjust the solution. Yes, I mean, we do like to go back. Um, we do love to go back and and see how things are going. We keep in touch with the with the company with all of our clients to see if there's anything we can help them with and if there's any questions along the way. But we do love to go back six months or a year later, uh, survey the employees again, see how things are going. Um, it's always a lot of fun, and uh, I th- actually Frank has, I believe, one of the best stories. I'll tell I'll tell you a quick story from down in Georgia, and Frank needs to tell the lumberjack story. But um, <laughs> but you know we were we were back in uh, in Georgia, and we had, uh, had implemented a, a schedule change where they had a long break. It was a uh, we call it work a little work a lot, rest a lot, where they were they had some stretches where they worked a lot, but they had long breaks uh, in between um, in in that in that uh, schedule. And this one little lady comes up and she says, listen, I got a problem with this schedule. She says, I know I get this seven-day break every four weeks and it's awesome, but I start partying on Friday. I party on Saturday. I party on Sunday. By Monday, I'm broke. I'm broke. I'm broke. I got to go back to work. (laughs) I can't do these many days off. And, uh, you know, I just smiled and and took her to the bar. Overtime opportunity. You've got overtime opportunity. Take some overtime instead of uh, taking all those days off. But uh, she was cute. But Frank has a great lumberjack story. So it was a coal mine, one of the first places I worked up in uh, in Montana. And I went back and we did a, uh, I think it was a full year, about six months later. And we went back and resurveyed the the employees. And we put them on a schedule, kind of like Jim's, where they had this uh, this big break. And uh, the employees, we could tell when we showed up, they were really, really positive and liked it. So I'm, I'm there giving them the results. And um, there's a guy, I thought he was standing up in the back of the room. He kind of, you got, remember Grizzly Adams? Remember that? You know who Grizzly Adams is, Shelby? Mm-hmm. I, I've heard it, but I don't know this 
Spe- is, is he a specific character from a film? He's, he's a, he has a show from the 70s. He's this mountain man that used to have a bear that would walk around. It was like a weekly TV show. <laughs> but he was a big guy that basically his hair looked like a lion. He had a beard and hair that went in all directions, mm-hmm. right? And he was this – and so this guy, sit, stand, I think he's standing in the back of the room. His hair sticking straight out in all directions. And in the middle, I could see his face. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought he was standing up is when he did stand up, he was like twice as tall as everybody in the room. He's the oh biggest gosh. man I've ever seen. The <laughs> cross between a lion and Andre the Giant. Right. Right. And he comes up to the front of him and he's got coal dust dripping on him, you know, dripping all the floor all over him, this big, dirty, giant man. And I'm there with the other consultant and he taps the other consultant in his chest with a with a finger that's the size of a sausage. Oh, my gosh. Right? And he's like, you he goes, um, you guys, if you, you know, expletive, 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 change my expletive, expletive schedule and take away my seven-day break, I will personally go expletive, expletive to California and expletive, expletive hunt you guys and kill you like the dogs you are. Wow. Right? And I remember saying, whoa, hey, we got a recommendation. No change. <laughs> right? So here was a guy that was very, very happy with his schedule where he got a seven-day break once every four weeks. And he was just tickled pink that he could go use that and uh, hang out with his other mountain men. Um, <laughs> and then there was uh, – but just to show you that you can't make everybody happy, uh, a couple hours later, I'm doing another meeting. And there's a guy who's kind of in the middle of the room and he's uh, – this guy had been working at this mine forever, and it was a, a it was an above ground mine, so he'd been outside his whole life. Um, and you could see his skin was like leather, his hair was like bright white, got some coal on it. But he was very fastidious, and he was all fired up. He was he was so fired up, he was shaking during my meeting, and I didn't know what was going on. And he's looking away and everything else. So finally, at the end of the meeting, he comes up, and again he goes, "You guys." You guys made me get a divorce. Oh my! I'm like, what a, this? I'm like, what are you talking about, Jim? What did you do? <laughs> right? And he's like, you know, before Coleman ever came to Montana, I was working six or seven days a week. I'd get a day off every other week. I never saw my wife. Now I got to spend seven days with her every four weeks, and I don't like her, oh and she gosh. don't like me, <laughs> and I'm getting divorced because of you guys. Oh my! And he was so mad I couldn't even talk to him. So you know you can't make everybody happy. That's no. the change story, <laughs> especially not the crazy prospector. <laughs> no, but I do love I do love change management, and we we hit the change right, and going back and and we do because we go out and. You ask people what they want, and you give them what they want. Again, you can't make everybody happy. The buttheads are waiting for you. Let me tell you why it didn't work, Frank. Let me tell you all the bad things that have happened. Oh, so you want to change something else? I didn't say that. Right. But let me tell you about all the bad things that have happened, right? But, you know, there's also the ones that are um, – I can remember uh, going to a, a plant a couple of, a couple of years ago, and it was a, it was a big plant, and we uh, changed the uh, schedule and really made – the life better for some people who had never gotten a weekend off. They had to work every weekend, and all of a sudden they were regularly getting uh, uh, it was one out of three or whatever weekends off. And we're walking in the plant, and I can remember this grandmother comes up and hugs me, and I knew she was a grandmother because she's a short lady, and she grabs me and she hugs me and she goes, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." Before you ever came here, I didn't have grandchildren. I, I I never saw them. I worked every weekend, and they were in school during the week. Now. 
every couple of weeks, I spend the weekend with my grandchildren and I have grandchildren and it's all because of you. And she, th- she was crying when she said this. And I, um, you know, when I, when I feel that I still get chills just saying that to you, Shelby, that that's the reason I've been doing this job for 25 years is that lady. And she's one of many, many people who often don't get what they, you know, life is hard. It's hard for the working class. We work out there. They spend hours and hours. They spend over half their waking lives at work. If we can make people's lives a little bit better so they can spend a little bit of time doing what they want to do. And for that lady, it was her grandchildren. But doing what they want to do, I will do this job for another 25 years. That's the difference maker. That's why it's not necessarily work. It's something that you're you're kind of called to do. And, and so it's uh, really heartwarming to hear that that's the change. That's the difference. And that's why you guys at Coleman are really just so good at what you do. So thank you, Jim and Frank, for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Shelby. And that does it for this episode of the podcast. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. <laughs>